People see the hero and wish they could be like them. People see the fight and wish they could throw a punch like that. People see the result and cheer the victory, but they don't see the training and cheer the process. People fantasize about being like James Bond, wearing his tux, but ignore what it must have taken to get there. People actually think that Jackie Chan was born as a fighter and woke up with nunchucks in his hands. People dream of being an astronaut, but don't dream so much about the intense training that goes with it. People rarely see the making of a legend. We see the finished product, but overlook the blood, sweat, and tears that go into what you see in the end. We want to be the chiseled, handsome superhero in his costume, but we don't want to know what he had to sacrifice in order to save the world. I will fight, and I will win. But let me assure you, I did not wake up a fighter. I fought to be a fighter. I was disciplined. Discipline is a remedy to success. If I could bottle discipline and sell it off, I would. But discipline is not something you can teach. You don't just learn it, you create it. Discipline is what separates those who make a difference and those who don't. It separates those who live dreams in reality and those who live dreams in their sleep. We all fall over, but it's discipline that screams, get back up and go again. Hills rise above you, the ground sinks beneath you, but discipline, discipline pushes through. The only way you're going to get to where you want to be is through training, work and discipline. A human being who is committed to absolute discipline defies the impossible and defines the word unstoppable. I am ready. All right, K2, how are we? Good, good. Hey, this, this series that we're in the middle of is called Stoked. And literally, like you would use a bellow, hopefully bigger than this one, to stoke a fire, or you'd blow on a fire, or create the vent so that it blows up the fire. In the same way, Paul says in 2 Timothy that Timothy should stoke his relationship with God, that he should stoke his faith, that he should stoke his spiritual gifts, that he should stoke his love and power. And today we jump into self-discipline. And so if you were here for the first time, um, man, you come to church and you're here like the word discipline. It's like, man, this is fantastic. Welcome home, right? Um, so uh, I want to give you a different spin on it, though. Um, I think you're going to discover some things. I think we're going to discover some things today that are different than our expectations of self-discipline. What he said is true. Let me set this down. What he said is true is that how many things in life, those best moments in life, those important things in life, those amazing gifts in life, those fantastic achievements, how many of those come without an incredible amount of price to be paid? Not many. You might have had an experience where you really, really disciplined yourself and worked hard and achieved an amazing goal, whether that's physically or academically or in your career, but it took work, didn't it? And some of you have received an amazing gift, right? How many of you have ever received an amazing gift that someone else was really quite self-disciplined to give? Because of their work, they were able to give, but you see the self-discipline still was at 
the root of what it was paid, the, the price that was paid for the gift. Um, my name is Lad. I'm one of the teachers here at K2, one of the pastors here. Welcome. If it's your first time, fantastic that you're here. We're thrilled about it. And really, we want to, uh, with everything we do, help you take one step closer to the story, to the plan, to the, to the life that God has for you, so that all of us are taking steps to become more and more like him and to the story that he has for us. So welcome here today. We're right in the middle of this series, or right at the end of it, with, with this series, Stoked, and we're in 2 Timothy. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to jump right in, okay? So let me just tell you where we're going. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 1, and the, the conversation is about self-discipline. We're going to pick up a little bit from Matthew, uh, from Jesus, about what Jesus says about self-discipline, and then we're going to hear from Paul, and we're going to end back in 2 Timothy, okay? Because Paul tells Timothy, once you really stoke that self-discipline, here is the way to ride it, okay? So here is the way to live out that self-discipline. So we're going to try and truck through this first stuff, um, and go from there. Again, I'm kind of sick. I'm living on DayQuil, so sorry for my voice, but you're going to have to keep up. Here we go. God, we're here this morning, and we're not here to, just to sing. We're not here just to, to uh, fellowship with each other. We're not here just to hear from somebody. We're here to hear from you. I know that each person here, God, they're here because they want to know what's next with you. They want to know, God, how do I stoke this relationship with you? God, we're not here in a rhythm of attendance at a church because we have to. We're not here because we fear you. We're not here to simply check box this off. God, we're here to follow you. At least that's my prayer is that we're here to follow you. So God, we want to ask you, what is next with stoking this, this self-disciplined pursuit of you? What's next, God, for us in that? God, that's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so right in 2 Timothy, you can jump with me. Um, when we think of self-discipline, often we think of something like we just saw. We think of a boxer, or we think of Rocky, you know, in the meat locker or whatever. We think of this incredible pursuit, um, either physically or academically or in work, or we save up for something. Or, uh, and then spiritually, when we think about it, what are the things that come to mind when we think of self-discipline? In fact, on your version, if you have a, if you have a phone, um, on version, uh, not only are the notes and the scriptures there or your iPad, but there's kind of a poll about which self-discipline you kind of track with the most, what's the most effective for you. So I'd be interested to find out from you uh, what you find the most helpful. In fact, maybe I'll even do that here. Um, but when you think about those things, uh, self-discipline, what we want to do is we want to we hear from the scriptures about what what Jesus says about self-discipline, or what the scriptures say about self-discipline. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 6. Um, actually, so, so Paul says, hey, for this reason, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's where we've gotten to. And, and we're actually going to continue from there a little bit later. So he says, fan this into flame. So he says, don't be timid, but have these things. Don't be timid, but have power, love, and self-discipline. So the question we've asked each week, how is being timid or fearful the opposite of self-discipline? Well, self-discipline, when you roll with self-discipline, you're always going somewhere, aren't you? Um, when, I, uh, when I was 19, I met Crystal, my wife, 
And we've been married for 17 years, but then I didn't really know, you know, I knew within a few months, I kind of thought this could be my wife, but I didn't know that. And so I, within a few months, had decided, okay, this next summer, I'm going to, I'm really going to bust it, and I'm going to save up for a ring, okay? If you've ever been in that situation, you know a little bit what that's like. And so I worked, I grew up in a construction family, so I worked all day construction, and then my dad's buddy owned a quarry, and so I stacked rocks uh, landscape rocks on pallets for about four hours every night, three or four hours. And I saved up all that money for, you know, for a rock, for a diamond. And uh, so I stacked rocks for a rock. And, and so, but it took self-discipline because I had a goal in mind. Self-discipline is always going somewhere. Wouldn't it be, I and mean, it'd just be masochistic to be self-disciplined about anything if you don't have a goal, right? Like, I'm just gonna suffer just because I like to suffer, Right? No, you, you suffer in the gym because you have an event coming up, right? You, um, you suffer with your budget because you have a vacation coming up, right? You suffer at work because you're looking forward to a promotion, right? And what I mean by suffering is you work towards it. Does that make sense? So, so what he says is don't be timid, but have power, love, and self-discipline towards God. It has a direction. You see, fear always cripples you. When I was in Oregon, I was a youth pastor, and like here, there's a lot of mountains, and my buddy and I climbed, uh, the first hill I summited was called Mount Thielson. It's in southern Oregon, and it's got a bit of a spire on top. It's a real pretty hill, and it's under 11,000 feet, so it was a simple one to do for the first time. And three of us went, my buddy Travis and I, and then his brother-in-law, who's 10 years younger than us. And this kid was killing us the whole way up the hill, right? And you never, t- you always want to take like people that you can outmatch, right? On a hike or whatever. So he's just killing us up the hill and he'd hike up and he'd wait for us. And it's a two-day deal. You hike up and you camp and then we summited from there. And he's killing us until we got above the tree line. We got above the tree line into like the scree field, you know, where the loose rock falls down. We get into the scree field and we just keep trucking. And this kid's name is Dave. Dave paralyzed. Why was he paralyzed? Because one of the rocks slipped. He turned around. He looked at how high and how exposed he was. And he was paralyzed with fear. Was he still a better athlete than I was? Absolutely. Was he still 10 years younger and way faster than I was? Absolutely. But fear paralyzed him. And see, if you're fearful you're going to get paralyzed in situations and you're never even going to take the first step towards discipline. See, fear always cuts you out before you even start. Maybe you don't even ever work to buy the ring because maybe she says no, right? Because that's a fear. That could be a fear that you could dwell on. And the more you dwell on that, the the more paralyzed. So Paul says to Timothy, listen, don't be timid, but be self-disciplined. Self-discipline is going to take you in that direction. It's going to fight against fear. The second way that, that fear really commonly in this self-discipline area shows up is that when we have a fearful relationship with God, we actually do these self-discipline-looking things out of fear for him. It's like, okay, I'm going to show up in this way. I'm going to do these actions because really, at the end of the day, I don't believe God loves me. I fear if I don't. Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like the perfect mix of religion, right? If I don't do these things, God might squash me. To be honest, even though we don't really call it karma, tons of Christians operate that way. It's like, so I do good, and then hopefully God does good. And, and, and if I do bad, then God's going to do bad. And you see, that's all fear-based. 
It's all fear-generated action, fear-generated behavior modification. So we talk about self-discipline. You could actually be very disciplined and be very moral and completely miss the point. Jesus warns us of it in Matthew 6. Here's what he says. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. He said, so you can do all of these things. Like, remember when we talked about love? You can have amazing faith even in God. And if you don't have love, you're just like a, a pot banging, just like a, a clanging gong or cymbal, right? And, and so in the same way Jesus says, man, you can do all of this with this motive of fear, you can do all of this to try to prove your holiness to people around you with the fear if you don't, then God's gonna, and he says, you got, you, that doesn't help your relationship with God at all. That doesn't help your relationship with God now or in the future or in eternity. Continuing in verse five, he says the same thing. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues or at church, on the street corners, out in, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He says the same thing about fasting. All of these are spiritual disciplines. When you fast, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. See, wouldn't it be ridiculous to pursue God to impress others? That's bizarre, right? Like, Jesus says, no, it don't do these outward actions to impress others or out of fear to, to get to me. Pursue me, okay? Uh, so how, that's how fear is the opposite of self-discipline. Uh, secondly, though, what is spiritual self-discipline? Okay, so two books. If you have a pen and paper, write this down. If you got it on your iPad or phone, take notes. Um, two books that you need to read. Who's ever heard of uh, like Willard, Dallas Willard, The Spirit of the Disciplines, or Richard Foster, um, celebration of Discipline. Anybody heard of those? Okay, 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 so, um, okay, so that's, le that's less than 1% of us. So, um, he, um, these, I would recommend, I would recommend, um, I would recommend Dallas Willard, Spirit of the Disciplines, as an annual read for you and I, as a, as a, Read it over and over. Annual read for you and I. Dallas Willard, The Spirit of the Disciplines. And, um, and it, let me say, if, you, uh, if you're just tracking, if you're just starting with Jesus, right, uh, it'll be refreshing. It'll feel like really, it'll feel thick, right? And so maybe just take it a little bit. But, but if you want to know more about how do I use self-disciplines without legalism and, and how do I pursue God genuinely through these disciplines that Christians force literally centuries have been doing, for millennia have been doing. Um, Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard. So he breaks down these self-discipline, these spiritual disciplines into two categories. And I think they're pretty easy to understand. Disciplines of abstinence. So that's when I say no to something for a period of time in order to get closer to God, in order to hear from him more clearly. And then the other one would be disciplines of engagement, Okay, disciplines where I engage with God in a certain way for a period of time to get closer to him, okay? Um, and so here's the thing. Um, church, people, like if, if we, do, like if you don't take your job seriously and if you don't run after, what do you have? Like you have an unemployment check pretty soon, right? You don't have a job. Like if you don't pursue your relationship with God, right? Like he's not gonna leave you, but you, you're never going to be that person engaged that, that really 
Paul calls us to, right? You're never going to know that pursuit of God that just, you see him working all the way around you. So, so here, here's how he lists these things out. I'm not going to teach through all of these, but like disciplines of abstinence, solitude, silence, fasting, frugality. I always forget frugality. I never really think of like intentionally spending less for a period of time to, to worship God with this certain amount of money of resource for a while. Um, chastity, um, so the exact same thing, going without sexuality for a period of time in your marriage to pursue God. Um, secrecy and silence. Uh, disciplines of engagement, study, worship, ser- celebration, service. I bet most of you don't think about celebration either. I bet you don't think about using intentional celebration to worship God. The whole, the whole Bible is full of God saying, celebrate my goodness. When you throw a party, you should throw an absolutely amazing party to the glory of God. Absolutely. Celebration. Um, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, submission. Um, so, so what is it? In 1 Corinthians 9, let's just jump there to verse 22. This is what Paul says. He, he says this. He says, no matter where I am, I become all things to all people. And he says, it's for a purpose that I'm self-disciplined. For instance, if, uh, if Paul is sent into an urban area, but he's really kind of a rural dude, does he just kind of kick against the goads and tell all the urban people, man, you're dorks, or whatever. Like, I don't like your style. And no, he becomes like them for the purpose of the gospel. If, if, if he's an urban guy, and how many of you have been uh, urban and you wind up in a suburb and you're like, man, this really isn't my style, right? And, and what Paul says is wherever God puts me, I am going to be all things to all people for the purpose of the gospel. Because God put me there, I'm going to be there with this crew of people where he's put me for this purpose. And here's what he says. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share it in its blessings. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And people, as we go towards it, we talk about these spiritual disciplines, Paul says, be intentional. Discipline yourself to pursue stuff that matters. Like we all pursue hard stuff that doesn't matter. Like, right? We, we pursue fun stuff that doesn't matter. We pursue all kinds of stuff that will fade away. And he says, pursue stuff that matters. Like you're in a race. Like you're in a fight. Pursue it. Romans 12 says that, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. The fight that we're in is the fight of faith. It's not the fight of doing. That we literally are, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, here, here's what actually Colossians says that self-discipline isn't because Paul understands that we as people often will set up rules by which we say, okay, so I obey these rules and I do these things, so now I'm square with God. Okay, so Colossians Paul continues in chapter two of Colossians and he says this, "Um, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So let me just clear that up for you. What he says is, listen, you came to faith in Christ. Your salvation, your relationship with God is based nothing on your merit. Your relationship with God is not based on how good you are. It's because Christ died for your sins. You came to grace. Why would you jump back into legalism? Why would you jump back into trying to earn your relationship with God? 
with these rules. And, and he says, so track with him here. Here's what he says. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations, and catch this, because this is going to show up in your life and in my life, and it shows up so easily in any religion, any pursuit of God. He says, such regulations have indeed an appearance of wisdom, right? Don't people who are super moral and super, they've got their rules and they follow them and they are self-disciplined and restrained, doesn't that appear like wisdom? It does. It, it appears like morals. And maybe even in your heart, it appears like wisdom. I'm going to do these things. I don't really understand the whole Jesus thing, but I'm going to do these things to prove to God that, that I'm a good person. I'm going to do these things to, to more and more engage with him. And, and so he says they have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. The old school King James ver Version describes that or translates that as will worship, with their will worship, with their worship of the will, with their worship of self-discipline. Have you ever seen in your own heart worship of self-discipline? I'm so self-disciplined that, that these are the outcomes in my life. I'm so self-disciplined that financially we got where we're going. I'm so self-disciplined that I have the body that I have that I always wanted to have. I'm so self-disciplined that I'm as beautiful as I am. I'm so self-disciplined that I'm as holy as I am. That's worship, and that's worship of yourself. Do you understand that Paul calls us into these self-disciplined pursuit of God, but it's not like this. See, we can set up rules and and really end up worshiping our will. Okay, now is there wisdom in having some boundaries? Absolutely. If I'm an alcoholic, should I be in a bar all the time or have a bunch of alcohol in my house? No, that wouldn't be wise, right? If I have four boys in my house, which I do, and we got internet flying all over the place, is it smart to have everything unfiltered and just like pursuing me and hunting me down with pornography? Is that smart? No, wisdom is, is good to set up rules. There's, there's all kinds of rules that are that are good to set up toward the heart of self-discipline, right? And so what Paul says is you can actually follow a whole bunch of rules that look like morals and look like wisdom and are totally off the path. And Paul, Jesus says, don't do those to impress each other. And Paul says, don't put rules on yourself like stairs to get to God. Don't build a stairway to heaven of your rules and your morals. So what are, what are then self-discipline? How do we stoke this self-discipline? Because that really is the question. Okay, so what are these things and how do we stoke it? Let's jump, jump back to uh, 2 Timothy, where Paul's at. In 2 Timothy, here's what he says. He says, for this reason, um, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is through you, through the laying on of my hands. The Spirit of God does not make us timid, is not fearful, but it gives us power, love, self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as his prisoner. And so what does he say? He said, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about me as, as the Lord, or about the Lord, your testimony about the Lord. Here's the first thing. 
Don't be ashamed. If you want to be self-disciplined in pursuit of God, first thing, do not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Here, let me play it out for you this way. If, if you take out into your life the gospel, the story about what God has done in you with the people in your life, you step out and you're not ashamed, right? You are desperately desperately going to want to hear from God because here's what it looks like. Um, so for instance, when I'm up here sharing with you, when I'm teaching you what God's word says, like this is the safest place in the world to talk about God, right? This is not me being bold about, about the testimony of Christ, right? This isn't me. Where, where in my life, where I'm bold about the gospel is in my friendships on a bike ride. It's in my, my life where I'm sitting on the sidelines watching my kids play baseball and I'm meeting a new person. And I should, um, you know, if I share the gospel there, uh, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, I had this really cool thing happen. Well, I, I was broken first, which wasn't cool, but then God miraculously in a moment healed my leg. Absolutely amazing. You'll have to check out the video from last week to catch the whole story or buy me lunch or whatever. And I'll tell you the story. And, um, but, but check it out. Uh, I don't remember exactly what I was saying there. Um, but here's the thing. When you walk with a crutch and then all of a sudden you don't, like you have to tell the people in your life, like all of our friends on the block, all of the people in my life, the people that I do therapy with, all that kind of stuff for rehab, um, all of that, like I'm like, well, here's what happened. God in a moment healed me and I tell him about my savior. And see, that's when if I step into being not ashamed and then I really have something on the line because I care about people and I want people to come in to know the love and forgiveness of God, if I step out and be not ashamed about the gospel, you better believe I'm gonna be self-disciplined because in my head the whole time it's like, man, God, what am I gonna say? What am I gonna tell my friends? Man, I need to hear from you so that I can tell the truth. So when you step out, the very first thing that Paul says is, listen, walk into this power, love, and self-discipline and then step out. Because when you step out, you're gonna find that you need him a whole lot more. See, when you hang back in timidity, you know, I, I mean, I just, I kind of come and I hear from God and, you know, I, I don't really, really talk about him too much and there's really no need to. And when you step out, you're gonna find you need him desperately. And so you're gonna discipline yourself to hear from him in his word and prayer, okay? So, um, so don't be ashamed is the very first thing that he says. Um, a couple weeks ago, about 10 days ago, um, there's, there's actually a crew of about a dozen people here at K2, kind of led by two guys who are doing it full time. Uh, we're, we're actually down on the streets here in Salt Lake every day since January 1st. Okay, as a team, there's, there's two guys that are there full time and then a bunch of the rest of us are there for four or two or four hours a week. And we've just been building relationships with people who are really broken down on Rio Grande Street. And, uh, and some of you have uh, even come to church because of that, because of some of those relationships that have been built and fantastic. And so um, last week, there is a, uh, a girl who lost her guitar. Uh, it was actually stolen from her and it's kind of her shtick and that's how she makes money and she was sad. And so we were down there and prayed for her and I said, well, let me see if I can, you know, let me see if God has a, a guitar for you. Uh, because here's, here's the thing is you're going to find that when you go out like that, when you step out, you're, you're going to say, God, man, I, I want you to back me up. God, I want to know what to say. And so that even gets into the second point is that not only do you not be ashamed, but you jump into suffering. 
You jump into suffering. Some of you didn't see that coming, right? Like jump into suffering. Embrace suffering. Because that's what Paul says. I'll finish the story in just a second. Paul says this in 2 Timothy. He says, um, don't be ashamed, first of all. And he says, rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And some of you are like, man, I'm out, right? I'm not into that. Like discipline was one thing, but now suffering? Okay. So I put on Facebook right there. I've put on... Um, I put on, hey, does anybody have a dusty guitar that you're supposed to give away to somebody who needs it? And uh, within five minutes, yes, guy has a guitar. Jeff, a guy here. So Jeff says, yes, I've got a guitar. And I meet him a couple days later, and he tells me the story. He said, I was cleaning out my apartment, and I looked at my guitar, which is covered in dust, and I bought it 15 years ago, and it's a nice guitar, and I haven't learned to play it. And in my mind, I thought right at that moment, you're going to give that guitar away this week. And he's like, I wasn't sure if it was God or if it was crazy, but I kind of dismissed it, right? And then at coffee break, two days later, he hears about this guitar and he knows from God in that moment, that's the guitar I told you to give away. And you're gonna give it to her. And so um, for, for Jeff, like as he takes a step of faith, there's a little bit of cost there, isn't there? There's the cost of giving away a couple hundred dollar instrument, right? There's the cost of letting go of something that you've had and maybe even a dream of playing a guitar, that he knows he didn't step into. And what happened? And Jeff heard from God. And he stepped into it. And there's, there's, a, there's a small bit of suffering. You know, you might step into God and you might find that he puts your heart around something and you find that you, you sell something and, and give money to it. You might find that you totally change your schedule and there's suffering. You might find that that God calls you into a relationship where, where he uses you, but it comes at a cost to you. And Paul says, don't be ashamed and be willing to suffer for the gospel. And Paul was writing from prison. He knew all about this. So I took that guitar down to Jade. And uh, it was a couple days later, and she said, are you serious? This is for me? And it's a nice guitar. And, um, and so she immediately, and Jeff had already tuned it perfectly and everything, and she immediately starts playing a song and just saying, Jesus gave me a guitar. You know, and singing this song on the whole street that Jesus gave me a guitar. And you guys, you have to know that God wants to use you like that in simple ways when you step out and say, God, how are you gonna use me today? I wanna hear from you. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to give, okay? Third way um, that Paul says he says to rock a holy life. Here's what he says to Paul specifically. He says, um, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Okay, he says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Is that a holy life of me building rules upon rules? No, it's a holy life where he has absolutely transformed us. And what I want to tell you is that he does it when we focus on him through spiritual discipline. Okay, um, everybody knows that if you want to change a habit, you don't focus on the bad habit, you focus on what replaces it, right? It's elementary, like in your golf swing, um, I don't think about the things that I don't do because like for me, I let my wrist go out too soon. For me, I focus on where my arms need to be. So like for me, in my head, I'm always dropping my arm into my, into my side, into my love handle, right? So I just, because I know if I don't do that, my, my hands are going to whip out, right? You have to focus on the right thing. That's where, like what Romans 12 said is, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not about praying about the stuff you want to get rid of. Renew your mind for 
the new things. Um, when, I was, when I was a youth pastor, I had this very favorite spot. I actually don't have a favorite spot here. I'm gonna, that's one of my goals for this year. I'm going to have a favorite spot here for this. In Oregon, I had a favorite spot, and once a month, I went for 24 hours by myself of solitude, silence, prayer, fasting. Okay, but I want you to understand this because some of you want to stay miles away from that. You hear that and you're like, man, there is no way I am ever rolling that way, right? Now, I want you to hear this. Like, um, it, it doesn't have to be separate from your life. I love to fly fish. We live just off the Deschutes River. And so what did I do? Once, once a month, I went, I spent the night out in the back of my truck, and I camped under the stars, and I entered into silence and fasting, and solitude all by myself, didn't say a word, didn't say anything out loud, turned everything off, and I would journal and pray and read the word for an hour, and then I'd fly fish for an hour, and all day long, right? And, uh, and the very first time I did it, I mean, it was fantastic, right? Like, when's the last time you spent 24 hours in silence hearing from God? In fact, if there's one thing you could walk away from, I would encourage you towards that step. Maybe it's only four hours for you. Turn everything off and listen to God. Get, get a Bible, get a sheet of paper. Say, God, what do you want to speak to me? So I spent all day, and it's a fantastic day. I love to fly fish. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's doing something else. There's a monastery where a lot of people do that just up north of Ogden a ways. Um, there's all kinds of places to do it. Get with God in a spiritual discipline. So, so I spent all day, and... Um, I go to my, my favorite restaurant there in this town and I sit down and um, it's now my favorite restaurant. It's the first time I'd ever been there. And I walk in and I sit down and the very first words I've said in 24 hours were to order, you know, my food. And um, the, the waitress comes back with my drink and she sets it down. And I didn't like start with a sermon or anything. You know, I didn't, I didn't start like that. She says to me, she says, I got a really weird question. She said like, are you like a pastor or something? You know, I'm, I'm in my fly fishing bibs. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm in my fly fishing stuff. She said, are you like a, a pastor? She said, I just, I have this sense from God that there's, there's something that I need to pray about and I feel like I'm supposed to ask you to pray for me. And like, that didn't happen every, I mean, I, I knew that woman, I continued to pray for her, but, but what I want to say is when you spend time with God, like, and when you say, God, what do you want me to do? Like, if you are a follower of him, he wants to use you. It's not a game. This isn't a dress rehearsal. He wants to use you with your waitress. He wants to use you in your life. This isn't a place for you to come and watch how he uses other people. You live in the community you live in on purpose. God wants to use you there in your office, in your cul-de-sac. You're there for a reason. And if you don't pursue him, that's just going to pass you by. And you're just going to keep coming and consuming and saying, yeah, I do this K2 thing. And man, pursue him like you mean it, like you have a race coming up because you're in a race. I'm in a race. Man, I want to be that kind of people, don't you? Don't you want to be that kind of people who legitimately hear from God on Monday, you're going to give that guitar away this week and find out on Wednesday who you're supposed to give it to? You can't buy that kind of stuff. I want to be that people, and I want that for you too. We're going to continue. We're going to worship. 
Man, I, I would encourage you to, to get with somebody. Get with your Life Together group or the people you came with and, and talk out how you're gonna roll this out, how you're gonna step into it. Maybe you, maybe you share you know, babysitting. One weekend you give the kids and, and then you take the kids so that you have space in your life to be quiet, to be silent. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but, but you've got to pursue him and hear from him because he wants to use you. I'm gonna pray. The Connections team is gonna come forward. Uh, we do offering here. If you're a guest, by all means, don't, don't feel obligated at all. Give if you, if you want to, fantastic. But we give out of worship because God's given us so, so much. God, we're here and man, dad, we just, it's amazing that you told us to call you dad, that you have everything good for us thousands and thousands and ten thousands of, of blessings for us and that you want to speak to us, that you're not a faraway God, that you're a in-my-life God, in-my-week God. I want to worship you. God, we worship you with our finances. God, on this issue of self-discipline, God, would you keep us far away from legalism and would you plunge us deep into pursuing you? deep into habits and rhythms of pursuing you, Jesus, as a church. And would you transform this city? God, this city, God, this city that desperately needs to know that you love them. And that's not about performance. Jesus, would you do that in us, we pray. In your son's name, amen.